Hi everyone, we're excited to finally present these guest episodes to you, but keep in mind this interview was recorded on March 8th, 2020, before all the craziness, and without further ado, here's the episode with Keith Kitts. creative souls out there welcome to the uh, pixel plus perfect podcast where me andy don and my co-host brad duboff will interview our guests in the creative field about their design process and how they learn from their mistakes in order to contribute to their success today so our job is to share with you the guest stories and messages and hope that they will inspire creative minds to pursue their calling um, we are very pleased and honored to introduce our guest today, who is also our first podcast guest, Keith Kitts. Well, who is Master KK? That's what I like to call him. Keith is um, the program director of the Master of Arts in Graphic, De- in Graphic Design at Suffolk University, where he is also an assistant professor teaching graphic design. A little fun fact about him is that we were both his students who often sought design advice from him. He is the founder of Keith Kiss Design, his own agency, where his high profile and broad expertise in graphic design, as well as creative direction, ties in depth of conceptual and visual understanding. Keith got his Master's of Fine Arts in Graphic Design from Boston University, where he used to lecture what he knew best in the art and design field. Before that, he graduated from Mount St. Joseph University with a degree in graphic design and also an alum of School for Creative and Performing Arts in Cincinnati, Ohio, his hometown. He also worked for several design agencies and organizations before dedicating his talent and knowledge in teaching at Suffolk in recent years. Another little fun fact about him is that he loves to make poster design. He liked to design poster and he's been designing one poster they using different techniques and materials. Um, his art is incredible and so fascinating that we admire and are super excited to talk to him more today. And without any further ado, please welcome the one and only Keith Kids. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank yeah. you guys so much. Great to have you, you here as well. Um, yeah, so um, we're going to start off with... Um, a question that we're going to ask all our guests, and it's pretty much the basis of our whole podcast. So tell us about your biggest mistake in design and what did you learn from it? Ooh, I, I, there's been many. Yeah. <laughs> um, knowing that your podcast was going to be based on this idea of like how to correct mistakes or learning from mistakes, I was thinking the other day about my first internship. And this was pretty early on. I want to say that it was maybe in my sophomore year of my BA. Um, Not positive. It's been quite a while. Uh, But I was working for a a small boutique firm in Cincinnati. 
and uh, actually working for one of my mentors and was also someone who was one of my instructors. And uh, very early into that uh, engagement, I was kind of taken aside and it was like, hey, you know, like you're really too sarcastic and you're joking too much and you don't seem to be serious and some people are offended by some of the things that you're saying and you really need to like check yourself or we're going to have to, you know, part ways. And this was extremely sort of shocking to me at the time because I just, you know, thought that as sometimes young people do, I had, you know, maybe too much ego and just was really not uh, mindful of what I was doing. So I very hurriedly corrected my uh, behavior because I really wanted to be part of that firm. And I ended actually ended up working there for quite a number of years. And really, it was something that has completely enriched me. I've stayed in touch with um, many of the designers there and uh, consider them to be colleagues and mentors and friends. And so it's one of those things that I, I love talking about that story, even though it's kind of embarrassing, but I love talking about that story from the standpoint of, I think a lot of people can be in that situation. You know, as Andy mentioned, I went to an, an arts high school and I went immediately into a, a graphic design program. So I probably had this feeling of I was, you know, a little bit more than I was actually. So uh, it was good to be knocked down a few pegs. So how did you change your behavior? Um, I really just learned to listen more. Okay. You know, I, I think that that's also something that has helped me tremendously uh, in my work as an educator from the standpoint of, you know, it can't always be that the person who's, you know, kind of quote unquote at the head of the class has all of the answers and is the only voice in the room. Um, it's why as, you know, you all know that from the standpoint of when I work with students, it's much more of a collaborative process. Uh, I tend to you know, put myself at the same table. I don't put myself at a separate table. I you know, want to be you know, treating the classroom like it's a studio space. And most of the studio spaces that I have worked in have been highly collaborative. Uh, the ones that I've worked in that haven't, I haven't stayed there very long. Hmm. That sounds great. That sounds like you're... Um you experienced um, the basically the process, not just only about your design, but also the process of how you 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 you've been growing. Um, meaning, you now you listen to more people. You listen to maybe your inner voice about how to um, get better at it, and um, it's great. That's like I said before. That's something that I I've been struggling with as well um, um, right now. Um, meaning that I had to learn how to take other people's opinions um, not too seriously um, because because that would kill my um, not not really kill but make me feel very frustrated and uh, not productive in my design process. Yeah, I think it's important for you know any of us to understand that we're part of the feedback loop. Right. So it is a matter of you know we're all getting lots of feedback all of the time. We get feedback from clients. As an educator, I get feedback from students. I get feedback from colleagues and mentors. And I have to, just like the students have to, just like any of us who are working in the field have to, we have to sort of figure out ways to pick and choose from that feedback what is helpful and what is not, and be willing to engage with the things that are helpful, even if they are things that 
uh, you know, f- make us have to do new iterations and change things and edit things. Uh, but I think that, again, listening and, uh, you know, emotional intelligence, that was something that I lacked in that first job at that time. Um, you know, your emotional IQ and being really in touch with your inner voice and being able to make adjustments and changes, I think is really important. It's interesting that like, like the emotional IQ stuff, that's a human thing that you had to change yeah. instead of like, it makes you a better person and a better designer in turn, which is an interesting thing uh, to think about for that. Um, so let's go back to the design stuff. So how did you get into the design industry? Uh, I when I was in high school, I had really was focusing my energy on going into fashion design. I was very much into uh, fashion and clothing, and uh, you know, dressing in avant-garde ways. It was the mid '80s, guys. You yeah. know, going into the '90s, so um, it, it was one of those situations where uh, I was highly influenced by the artists that I was interested in and the uh, musicians that I was interested in. And it was one of these situations where um, I was really focusing on that. So I applied to you know, all, the, all the schools with the top programs and got accepted. And then it was a matter of um, you know, going to the school that had the, the right sort of uh, mix of education and, for me, financial aid and scholarships. Um, and I ended up going to a school that uh, sort of over-promised and under-delivered and Rather than stay there, I actually decided to uh, to go back home, and my sister was actually in the program at Mount Saint Joseph. She was um, I don't I don't know that she was in the graphic design program as yet because I believe she started as a, a finance major, uh, but it was one of, she did end up transferring to that program to the graphic design program. But it was one of these situations where I knew that I couldn't be out of school for a full semester because I may not go back. Mm-hmm. And education was tremendously important to my parents, and it was tremendously important to me. And it was one of those situations where I, I basically groveled and begged for them to allow me to come into that program, you know, several weeks late. And they were were accommodating, and uh, that's kind of where it began. I did take one commercial art class in high school, uh, which, you know, is kind of an, an old-school name for graphic design. Um, but really, that's how it started. I you know, was heading into this other program for fashion, and it didn't work out. And I you know, wanted to kind of keep my nose to the grindstone as far as education and ended up in that program in uh, Cincinnati. And it really completely changed my life. So that, you know, that decision or that situation, which wasn't the best at that other school, became this really great platform for you know, over 30 years of making now. Thanks. Um, that's good. So how would you describe your style? Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that you use that word because I'm not a fan of that word style. Um, I know people use it all the time and it's one of these things where I, I think it's really more about finding the voice or the solution that is appropriate for the client. Um, I, have been like labeled lots of different things, especially with the stuff that's more client generated. People will label that, generally label that work kind of modernist or uh, minimalist. Uh, and sometimes 
you know, when it gets to be uh, this sort of collision of the hand generated and the digital, they might say it's postmodernist, but, you know, I don't really utilize any of those labels. I'm really just someone, I, I actually often don't refer to myself as a graphic designer. I kind of refer my, to myself as a, a maker of marks mm. okay. and, you know, or just a maker, sometimes a troublemaker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's super interesting. Um, graphic designer, it's more, it's just like a title and sometimes um, you just don't want to be yeah. associated with it and just uh, free yourself from it. Yeah, I think it's not so much that I don't want to be associated with it. It's a matter of my work is just much more fluid and it kind mm-hmm. of lives in a lot of different spaces and takes on a lot of different forms and I don't want to be really limited by a label, gotcha. at least at this point in my life. There was a point mm-hmm. in my life where I was like waving the banner for graphic design and really was someone who felt that that was, you know, a, a great honor to have that title. And I, you know, still do think that. Um, but I, I think we just, you know, as an industry probably need something that's a bit more flexible as well because yeah. our mm-hmm. our whole industry is changing so rapidly and right. is becoming so much more vast that I think it's really one of those situations where, you know, it might be time for us to kind of reevaluate what that that sort of nomenclature is. Yeah, that's interesting because I guess graphic design is so much, like it's so broad, like there's web design, UX design now, uh, UI design, um, yeah. all that stuff. Motion-based you know, motion items. Stuff. You know, yeah, it's, so. it's really one of those things where it's just yeah. becoming such a broad continuum. You know, I came into the field in the you know early to mid 90s when tran- big transitions were taking place yeah. as well. You know, we were moving away from print and very much moving into the digital space. And, you know, um, you know, I am just really always inspired by innovation and want to always want to be in that sort of space of thinking about how can we be more innovative? How can I as an educator be more innovative? How can I challenge my students to be more innovative? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is your design process? Um, it does it vary between projects? Um, it always starts with conversations. You know, I need to get to know the project and get to know the client and get to know what their needs are. So, you know, there's an initial conversation that is sort of the request for the proposal, uh, or to determine that there's interest in the job, then Basically, what I do is I will have a, a set of questions, which is, it can be flexible, uh, but it's often asking them about, you know, who they are, what is their mission, vision, and values, who do they consider their uh, competition, uh, and then I use that data to do research, because I need to understand, you know, sort of holistically before even, you know, a mark is made, who they are and what their needs are. A lot of times clients will you know, think that they need one thing because they've you know, seen one thing that their competitor has, but really what they need is something completely different. So I've had students who've come to me and they said, you know, I, I need a website. Well, really they need a brand. You know, they need a brand and they need a brand strategy and then they need collateral items like a, a website. Right, so, um, so that's for the client. So what would you, how would you describe your design process if you worked for 
yourself if you worked for a project that you yeah this the self-generated work comes from a uh, sort of a different space I mean it's I'm certainly not interviewing myself and asking myself these questions but it is one of these things of uh, the self-generated work really I was uh, just doing a presentation on the poster work last week with a class uh, not mine an instructor invited me in to speak about this work and uh I like to tell students that it's no different than, you know, if you're someone who practices music, mm-hmm. if you're someone who goes to the gym every day, if you're someone who just has some sort of daily practice that is, you know, a habit, a habitual practice. That's the way the poster project started. It became, uh, you know, I was, I'd finished up my thesis, you know, a thesis in a lot of cases is a you know, multi-term process where you are really investing in your own thinking and your own making and your own conceptualizing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, most of us finish our degree and then go right to work for someone or right to work for our own clients. And I sort of selfishly needed something to kind of fill that space. I'd, you know, been working for two years on a degree and it was all my own sort of stuff and my own making and my own projects. And uh, I'd I felt a a disconnect from not having that. So I started the poster project from that standpoint. And really, I I wanted to see if I could do it for a year. I I had done a a 100-day project in my graduate program, and I wanted to see if I could do something that was even more dense. Uh, And I have to say, when I talk to people about the the first year, the first month was not fun. <laughs> you know, it was it was a weekend. I was like, why am I doing this to myself? And uh, I had to learn over that process how to, you know, not work for perfection, not strive to, you know, to strive for rapid iteration as opposed to spending hours and hours on it. I mean, there were first few projects in the first year where a lot of them were uh, photographic based and I was just trying so hard to get the perfect photograph. And I am not a photographer um, and had not used photography in my own practice in quite a while without, you know, sourcing out to someone who was professional. So, you know, I was just spending all of this time and it was just, it's just not going to work when you're, you know, employed and also, you know, running your own firm and you're also, Mm -hmm. I was uh, adjuncting at the time. So it was just one of those things where I had to make it more of a a space of more experimental and more rapid. And how, how do you manage that? How do you, I guess, um, the question is, what's your, how, how do you do your time management um, in terms of like, oh, I'm not going to spend too too much time on this and because it's going to, you know, I, I don't have any more time for other things. Yeah, so most of it is about really just being mindful of, you know, setting a timer even okay. where it's a matter of like I've got X amount of time to do this and then I need to move on to something else. Also, you know, that time crunch really does make your brain focus in quite a different way. Than if you just feel like you have like you know, especially on the weekends, like you know, mm-hmm. I, I could have potentially have all weekend to make posters, yeah, um, which isn't true because there's always a million things to do as a program director. <laughs> but um, 
you know, I don't have to to be at a designated space at a designated time on those two days every week. So it is one of these situations where I could allow myself to just go into this sort of rabbit hole of making and producing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just, I'm very mindful. I try to dedicate uh, specific times of day to it, usually either late at night or early in the morning. Those are also kind of creative sweet spots for me. Okay. So would you say because you selected specific times for your poster design like that helped you curb that perfectionism oh yeah absolutely because you know most if i'm doing it in the morning especially i have to get out the door to get on the train to get Mm -hmm. to campus so it's a matter of i you know have to just be really mindful of the clock and you know i have had multiple students now as independent study projects do 100 day projects and I, yeah, and I will push them to do, you know, to set a timer or to right. be very mindful of selecting a specific amount of time and not to exceed like a half an hour tops. Yeah. So like what happens if you do like spend more than an hour or you like what keeps you motivated? Uh, I think it's if I'm spending more than an hour, it's usually because there's a second or third or fourth iteration. Uh, I am very big on iterative process. I talk to students about this all the time. I think the the philosophy of design being one and done is ludicrous. And I think it is uh, sort of harmful to the creative process to kind of be mindful of needing to make that one perfect thing. There's a lot of pressure when you need to make that one perfect thing. Certainly, that doesn't mean that the first thing you generate couldn't be, you know, the choice or you know, the right thing for the client or for yourself or for whatever the situation might be. Mm-hmm. But it is, I think, detrimental for us to not be, have an iterative process. That does not mean that I don't think that we should just continue to continually circle the airport. Right. Uh, I think a lot of young designers have that problem, too. Uh, there was a creative director that I worked with in Cincinnati who used to say he really enjoyed working with young people. He really enjoyed their energy. He said, but the biggest challenge was they had trouble landing the plane. Yeah. Um, and I do see that in uh, students that I work with. So it is one of those situations where it's great to be iterative, but we need to also just be mindful of how those we could just make and make and make forever. Right. But, you know, what are we learning from those iterations? So that's why I think critique is a huge part of the design process as well. And it's it's something that I um I'm always open to for myself, and it's something that I am very open to providing to students, as you both well know. Right. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. You actually kind of uh, talked us into our next question here. Um, But so is there any other advice that you would give to young designers or anyone who's interested in your career? I think that young designers need to really expose themselves to the world at large. I think that curiosity is lacking in a lot of the people that I come have come into contact with over my years of teaching, um, because to me, curiosity is not looking it up on your phone or Googling it. You know, curiosity is getting out in the world. Curiosity is going to lectures and going to plays and going to you know foreign films and going to libraries and going to you know places that you may not normally go or just you know getting out of your apartment 
<laughs> I mean, this is such, especially in, in cities like Boston, this is such an interesting city. It's so ethnically diverse. It's so complex. It has so many, you know, different spaces and places. And a lot of these things require no money. You know, you can just go there and see things and experience things. And I, I find it really um, curious that there's so much time spent in these kind of routines of going to like set places and then also just spending time during the commute in those spaces, like locked into a phone. I'm super encouraged when I'm on the train and people are reading books. It makes me so happy. Okay. Um, but I think that that's another thing too, like read. Or listen to podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Or <laughs> exactly. Like do things to expose yourself to educational scenario. Good right. advice there. Um, how do you manage other factors in your life, such as like stress, money, time management? Um, it's really there's a there. You know, getting older doesn't say doesn't make anything easier. Um, it certainly is one of those things where there's always lots of stress and lots of other factors going on, and in, in I think everyone's life. And I think that. Um, I've said this a lot in the past two weeks that I teach what I need to learn. So it's one of these situations where, you know, I'm always telling people to be mindful during their thesis process. We also now have a, in our undergrad program, have a capstone pro uh, process that our seniors work through, which is, it's kind of like a, a micro thesis. Um, during the initial engagement in both of those processes, I write on the board, make sure to do these two things, eat and sleep. <laughs> And, you know, we're all going to be, you know, in a project like that, being creative, we're all going to be pushing ourselves to generate the work. But I think that we're often not mindful of the self-care. And I think, you know, being someone who has slowly learned over time to be uh, extreme about self-care, I think that I try to pass that on to students as well. Um, also, I want to say in my mid-30s, I started talking with a life coach um, who has become a really good friend of mine. And we still have a set session every Friday, which is probably less a life coach session and more just, a, you know, two guys chatting kind of session. But it is one of those things where just staying connected to other people who are outside mm -hmm. of this industry, I think, is hugely important, you know, like. Uh, after I leave you all this afternoon, I will call my mom. I call my mom every right. Sunday. Right. It's one of those things where it's just like, I think it's just really important to be, you know, connected to people who are outside of the industry. So it keeps you human. It keeps you, uh, you know, talking to mom keeps you humble, <laughs> which is super important. And yeah. It keeps you grounded. And I That's think that sure. it's, uh, you know, I, I learn a lot from, people who are outside of the industry that I get to bring to the classroom. So it's just really nice. get out of your bubble, that makes sense? 100%. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, how have you dealt with conflict between you and your client or your coworker when you disagree about what works? Well, I think that, you know, we all end up in those situations. And I think going back to the beginning of this conversation, talking about uh, listening, I think it's really important to hear people out, you know, to just be a mindful, active listener during those situations and not jump to the, oh, oh well, they're wrong. <laughs> like, I have the right answer and they are absolutely wrong. Uh, with clients, it is a matter of, you know, that 
I believe in being very highly collaborative. And with clients, that's a, a sort of a different dynamic because of the fact that they are coming to us and they are paying us for the service. So sometimes there are moments where you have to sit with them and say, look, you know, you hired me as an expert and I'm trying to provide you the expert service. And these are the things that I'm recommending. Certainly I'm, I'm hearing you and maybe we can make some edits or changes depending on, again, it's just every situation is gonna be unique. Um, but there have been situations where I will have kind of one of those conversations and we can reconcile things. There are also, the, the older I get, the more particular I get about the clients that I work with. So it is one of these situations where I have had client situations where you know, we'll get a couple of iterations in and it's just not going anywhere. And you know, we'll have one of those kind of conversations to try to reconcile things and it maybe doesn't work. And it's a matter of like, you know, any relationship, sometimes you just have to part company. Um, but in those situations, I will, I will tell you with all client situations, just have a good contract. <laughs> so that if you do need to, you know, move out of that situation that you, you know, do Protect get it. some compensation for your time and services. Uh, that happened to, with me, uh, with a client a few years ago in Los Angeles and you know, we were just going, we just kept working and working and working. And, uh, you know, it was a matter of I just put on the brakes because it was, you know, I had done the three iterations. We were moving into the area of like four and five iterations. And, the, you know, the scope of work was changing and I was sending new contracts and they didn't want to sign those new contracts. And I just had to put a stop to it. You know, I was not on retainer with them. If I had been on like a six month retainer with them, that'd be a whole different situation. Makes sense. How how did you say, oh, this is the point we need to stop? How 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 do you normally handle that? Well, it was because really like, just a matter of you know getting on a call with them and you know going over the contract, basically saying you know this is what we agreed to. This is what we both signed, and you know you can see clearly that the scope of work says that there's going to be you know x amount of iterations and you know x amount of revision, and we've you know far exceeded that, and it's a time you know now's the time when we need to either talk about a new negotiation for a new contract or or an addendum to the contract, or we're you know going to have to part company, and you know we opted to part company and. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, that was a branding project, and uh, a few years ago, you know, that's been several years ago, and then a f like a couple years ago, somebody was mentioning to me that project, so I went and looked to see if they had done a refresh, and they still had the same brand. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, I think that there was the person that I was working with was completely on board and really wanted to make some changes. There was some disconnect with someone that was you know mm -hmm. above that person, okay. or some you know some board or something like that people that I never came into contact with. Mm. So, okay, so I have another question um, regarding that. So uh, do you do you find that talking in person would be better rather than emailing a client saying that this is, uh, it comes to the point that, okay, this project has, take, has been taking too long and going back to the contract, this is, this is, where and when we need to stop. 
I am a big big believer that things like email and Slack and these other tools that are, you know, connectivity tools are great, but I think that they should be supplementary. I think that, you know, especially when dealing with clients who are not in our industry, I think having, if possible, face-to-face conversations, a lot of the clients that I work with are outside of the Boston area. So, you know, I can't, don't have a private jet yet, guys. Um, so I, you know, can't just you don't? can't just fly out to California to meet with someone or some other state. Uh, and I also work with clients internationally, and sometimes it's a matter of you know there's a time change involved and things like that. So, uh, you know, I think things like Skype or Zoom or FaceTime, like those, are really nice, productive tools because there are a lot of inflections that are missed with email. You know, again, going back to talking about, uh, you know, kind of interpersonal communication, you know, sarcasm does not translate to email. <laughs> oh, not at all. You know, and it's, it's one of these things where you have to be really mindful of your audience. And I think that, you know, email is kind of can be a really sticky place uh, for communication because there's, it lacks inflection. So, you know, being able to see someone's face, seeing their mannerisms, you can really tell if someone's engaging with the work or not. Yeah. Um, and I never send things to clients kind of in the blind, you know, just kind of putting in an email and saying, like, take a look at this. It's always one of these things. If there's going to be an email transmission, I will get on the line with them or get oh, on screen with them and then send it mm-hmm. to them so that, you know, they're opening it up and you know, we can talk through what they're doing and what they're looking at and, you know, how things are are kind of playing out. I think that, you know, it's it's a process that has to be backed with information all the time. That's interesting, yeah. Um, So uh, how do you know when you are done with a project? Oh, I think that that's really, you know, a lot of times, if it's a client-based project, you know when you're done, when you've met the deadline needs and things like that. Um, if we're talking satisfaction yeah. with a project, I think that that's always going to be a challenge for most of us. You know, there's this, uh, you can see this on, on YouTube. There's this famous interview that I think is Paul Rand's last interview where he's asked this question about, you know, if you look at the scope of, of your work over your career, what would you go back and change? And his response is everything. I would change all of them. <laughs> Um, and I think it's one of those situations where we always have to be mindful of it being our best work for the time. You know, if, if, I'm, if I did it in October, it was the best effort and the best investment and the best work that I did in October. And now, you know, we're months past October. Yeah. And I could look back at that work and say, oh, man, I'd really like to change this or edit this. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, you know, sometimes you do get those opportunities to go back and refresh some things. Um, but oftentimes it's a matter of, I would say, invest that energy in the next thing so that it's not a matter of, you know, constantly living in, in some sort of space of regret. I'm not at all a huge fan of regret. <laughs> so uh, you, you mentioned that you do sometimes go back and change it, but like what makes you decide on if you need to? Uh, I, well, again, it's it's a rarity. It depends yeah. on who I'm working with. It depends on, you know, if we have an opportunity to work together in a situation yeah. where that refresh might be a possibility. 
uh, it really is a situation, you know, like those situations are, are different for different clients. So, you know, I tend to not sort of um, go looking for the need to look back and go looking for the need to refresh. But there are sometimes opportunities that arise where, you know, there might be a, a little tweak. And especially in the digital space, it's a lot easier now. And you're not printing 100,000 of something or you're not... You know, it's not something that someone's, you know, very expensive exterior signage for their building or something like that. So I, I think that those opportunities can occur. But, you know, again, I think it's really just being sort of more kind of making that mental note of what that alteration could be and what that improvement could be and applying it to the next job. Yep. Okay. Um, so we have a couple of concluding questions sure. here. Uh, so what are you currently working on? I'm currently in the process, um, kind of the negotiation, sort of scope of work writing process, uh, and um, contract writing process for a client in Chicago. Uh, it's an energy drink, and that's all I can tell you. Oh, wow. That keeps that us sounds, in suspense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, cool. it's, it's going to be... A, a fun project. I've actually worked with this client before on, a, on another uh, beverage deliverable, and I, I think that this will be um, someone that it's someone that I really like working with, and I think that it's going to be really cool. Cool. Um, we also have like we decided to add like a silly question. Sure. Um, so, what is your spirit animal and why? <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Um, does it have to be an animal? I mean, well, no, it can. It's open ended, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Or, or what yeah, would be your one. yeah superpower instead? Oh, wow! If I could have any superpower, I really think that I would would want to um, be able to somehow command silence because silence is like really <laughs> something that we don't regard as. Uh, as such a necessity and especially as someone who is a creative person sometimes i just want silence inside of my mind yeah um but well, also hard. just having silence uh to be able to concentrate to work so you know having the ability to concentrate would you, you know control silence would be great right do you okay well so do you have any practice of how to silence your mind right now at the moment um when you when you when you feel very stressed what would you do to i take i breath? always go for a walk okay it's one of these things where if i feel in any way shape or form overwhelmed or if i feel in any shape or form sort of under motivated or mm -hmm. uninspired i get out into the world okay. and you know some of those sort of seemingly aimless walks will lead to the most inspirational things and they lead to the most inspirational content uh, and they really do affect my mood they really do affect the work and you know certainly there aren't always times where you can just like jump up and do that so sometimes it's just about you know taking a, a breather just even in this space there are often times where I have like back-to-back -back student appointments so I'll just like get up and even walk around the room, just something to get moving. I think that that's, we mm. as designers can become really sedimentary and I think that that's you know, not a great thing. Right, yeah. 
That makes sense. Um, Perfect. I think that, that about does it for us yeah. here. Do you have any uh, other questions or any silly questions that you can think of? Uh, no, not about, really. Like, I mean, we, we would like to hear your like spirit animal. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what my spirit animal would be. You know, it's one of those situations one. where I have never really given that any thought and I think that it would probably be something that's you know kind of yeah. wily and elusive you know I don't know maybe a fox yeah a fox I like that yeah, yeah I like foxes too. I can see that yeah that's interesting uh-huh. sweet awesome um yeah well thank you so much thank you I, it's a, um, been a real pleasure to be with the two of you and you know again it's you know I admire both of you and i'm wishing you great success with this podcast thank you thank Thank you you so much we're excited about this for sure too well that's it for today's podcast on behalf of the pixel perfect team i'd like to thank keith for taking the time to chat with us we enjoyed our conversation quite a lot and hope you will too Uh, you can follow us on instagram at pixel perfect talk and visit our website at pixelperfect.blog for more information Thank you for listening. Until next time, stay safe and healthy, everyone. My name is Andy Dunn. And I'm Brett Dubov, signing off.